can you give an example of a really iconic piece of advertising that's won an award that that hopefully lots of people would remember? I think the ones that cut through are the ones that are probably the bravest, the boldest. So the one that springs to mind that most people would be aware of is Cadbury's Gorilla, for example. So every, it's very difficult to forget a man in a in a monkey suit or animatronics <laughs> banging out a Phil Collins song to uh, <laughs> to advertise a chocolate bar. Yes, in this episode, we're going to be talking about commercials and advertising and look at not only the kinds of ads we'll see in the future, but how brands are going to communicate with us and ultimately how that will affect what we choose to buy. My guest today is Simon Cook, CEO of Lions, organisers of Cam Lion, the International Festival of Creativity. And for those of you who don't know what Cam Lion is, uh, think of it as the Oscars of advertising. They have global awards for the very best in things like branded communications and the kind of adverts that you see on your TV, on your phone and, uh, and in game increasingly. The awards take place alongside a huge festival every year in June in Cannes in the south of France, attracting celebrities, politicians and many more. I'm Simon Cook. I'm the CEO of Lions and we organise Cannes Lions, the international festival of creativity. And what that means for those people who are unfamiliar is that for the last 70 years, we've served as the global meeting place for those who believe in the power of creativity. Amazing. I asked this question to all my guests. What was a pivotal moment or person in your career that's had the most impact on getting you to where you are now? It could be a mentor or maybe a decision you made a few years ago. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I firmly believe that if you're fortunate enough to have one of these, it's very important. And that is a creativity champion and ideally having one early on in life. Because as we all know, with curriculums, especially in the West, things like creative play, creative problem solving, just creativity in general, actually, is slipping off the curriculum. And that's highly unusual considering the World Economic Forum, I think a few years ago, said that it recognizes creativity and creative problem solving as being one of the most important skills that any of us will need in the future. So I think the need for creativity champions early on in life is really vital. And so for some of us, that might be a favorite teacher. It might have been your parent. It might have been a neighbor. But basically, it's someone who takes the time to encourage you to be creative, follow your instinct, and perhaps give in to creativity that we're all born with in the absence of more formal learnings in this area. So for me, that was probably my grandfather. He was always the person who cared about encouraging me to be more creative. And luckily, at the ripe old age of 88, he's still flying the flag for creativity, I'm pleased to say. Love that answer. Okay, there's another question which I'm going to ask you now, but I don't need you to answer. So you can just kind of percolate on it and we'll come back to it at the end. When was the last time you learned something new? So maybe something that had an impact in the way that you live your life or how you see the world. But we'll come back to that at the end so you can think about it. So let's bring this back to like normal people who think of advertising, who, well, I guess are bombarded by adverts on multiple platforms in this day and age. But still, even if you're a, an alpha or, you know, a younger person, you'll be used to TV advertising. That's sort of that, I guess, the sort of classic form of advertising. 
is that going to is that going to completely disappear? We've obviously seen this mass proliferation of all the streaming networks. Seems to be more coming every day. I had to go and cancel a few subscriptions this morning because I've started a few new ones because the kids wanted to watch something else. Is the TV ad dead? I guess that's my question. <laughs> that's very funny because it's a reoccurring headline that pops up. Certainly within my career, I've seen that headline a lot. And it usually goes along the lines of the death of the TV ad or are TV ads dying? And I think the short answer is no, but their reason for being is just evolving all the time, I think. I think it also depends on which part of the world you're talking about. In some parts of the world, as you know, Flow TV is still very, very popular. But yes, generally speaking, the humble TV ad is being consumed in a completely different way to the way it was five years ago, even two years ago. And if you think about those big brand building ads, the ones that are perhaps associated with Can Lions, they're still referred to as TV and cinema advertising, but their design is very specific. They are not always designed to be viewed on television and cinema. So if you think about things like for our U your UK listeners, the John Lewis Christmas ad, which has become an annual staple in our calendar. When was the last time that you actually watched the John Lewis Christmas ad on TV? I couldn't tell you. No, I watched it on YouTube. I definitely watched it on YouTube, saw the news headlines and logged on straight and searched yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. So it was maybe a viral moment. It was social led, or you may have even seen a behind the scenes documentary about it which, you know, sign me up to. I'm really interested in seeing how it was made as much as I'm seeing the polished article itself. And I think consumers are also looking for that kind of depth as well. And then if you also think about something more topical, like the Super Bowl, for example, arguably that is the platform for traditional TV advertising because of the number of eyeballs you get to hit because everyone's tuned into watching this big game. But I think increasingly, the advertising isn't actually happening within the ad breaks even. It's happening within the show itself. So you probably clock this because it's very much in your world, Carla, that probably one of the most effective ads was during the halftime performance with Rihanna, where there was that two-second moment where she did a very deliberate plug of Fenty Beauty. And the sales have just soared. I actually saw there was something in my inbox today about the millions of uplift she's seen as a consequence of that. And yet... I think, again, coming back to regular people who don't work in this industry, they won't have necessarily seen that as an ad, but it was. It was a perfect ad. Yeah, exactly. So whilst TV and cinema channels are still increasingly popular, the function is shifting and our relationship with them is, is not straightforward by any means. Let's talk about personalization, because I think that's probably the biggest shift that I've seen in that you go from just having ads delivered to you maybe on different platforms and now you have the instance that you're talking about something so we've just mentioned Fenty Beauty I put pretty good money on the fact that when I check Instagram over lunch there's gonna be some ads for Fenty Beauty in there at me in my social feeds we've got very used to that and very accepting of it actually probably because there is a value to it if it's something that you are thinking about then why not have it made even easier for you to then click and buy buy that particular thing do you think we will see that across every platform. So let's come back to that TV slot. I'm going to be seeing a different ad to someone who's in the house next to me because of the things that I've been searching or talking about during the day previous. I do. I do. Increasingly, we'll see personalised ads. And for many of us, when we turn on the television, really all we're doing is, is plugging ourselves into the world we currently experience on our phones. So 
they've already become an extension of self. All we're doing is just changing the device. So although we describe the act of watching television in the traditional sense, really for most people, what they're doing is just extending our experience of the internet and everything that comes with that, including increasingly personalized and highly targeted advertising. Do you think there is going to be a backlash? Obviously, it has been made easier for us to turn off cookies or to reject some of that online advertising. Has that had as big an impact as perhaps people feared it might do on the comm side? I think it has, but it's it's also quite generational when you think about the behaviours and, and how people accept this. I think you you touched on it just then, but people are getting very comfortable with this and the transactional nature of parting with your data and habits because it will get you improved access to different platforms and expose you to advertising which arguably is becoming increasingly relevant and actually less intrusive it's not interrupting in the way that it used to but is actually being designed to enhance the experience of the program that you're watching itself or even as we just said feature in it Now, I've mentioned already that idea that we'll be talking about something and then we're going to see ads for it on our phones um, in the not too distant future, probably in the next 15 minutes or whenever we uh, hang out this call. Are we going to see more of that or do you think it could become more sophisticated or is it going to be something that's completely rejected? I think we'll see more of it. But I think, as you said earlier, people are much more open to it. I think it's really become about two things. It's about tone and tolerance. So I think increasingly sophisticated algorithms will pop up, but also to be able to gauge what's acceptable to us as an individual and our tolerance levels towards it. And I think because our lives are becoming so increasingly complex, we are always looking for shortcuts and hacks and solutions and things that get us to what we want faster and more efficiently. And ideally in a personalized way. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that there will be constant backlash because there has to be there always has to be a a counter movement so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like do you think it's we've sort of i don't want to say made a deal with the devil but that kind of cost to our privacy we've signed up for that because it makes our lives go faster and we want things to be instantaneous we're so trained in that way now i think we do and i think you'll probably know better than I that the younger generation are much more comfortable with it. They understand that transaction and are okay about it. I think I think those of us that are a little bit older, we struggle with it at times, but also we, we do want those very efficient lives. So I think we accept it on a level. It's interesting though, because I am citing the children in my house or the children in my house at the weekend. Lots of them have deleted TikTok because they've decided that they don't want their data being delivered to governments elsewhere in the world. And there's a sort of argument there, which is, but you haven't deleted other social media platforms. And so your data is being used by other people to communicate with you and to get to know you better. But it's definitely a debate, I think, that's been had at quite a young age about how much they're prepared to give over, but also an acknowledgement of the value of that data. And I something we've been writing about WGSN for a while, but we haven't really seen it adopted. But consumers essentially saying, you can have this, but you are going to need to pay me for this data you are, or you're going to need to give me something back. And up until this point, we've been very happy to have free access to social media platforms or certain apps 
with the kind of acknowledge that we're giving you something back because you're giving us that platform and that that relationship might be changing. I'm not talking so much about the advertising here. I am talking about that interaction with apps that utilize our data then is being sold on to brands to enable them to understand us better. Any thoughts on that topic? I think it's really interesting that there's a the rising backlash, especially from that generation. We probably wouldn't have seen that 12 to 18 months ago. But I also think that's why the big brand building work still has a place. I don't know what your, your stepson's relationship is like with traditional TV advertising, but is that something that they're tuned into? Is it something they appreciate, those big storytelling moments? They don't watch TV. They certainly don't watch TV that starts at a certain time everything is consumed on youtube all those kind of things so but then probably you know your point about the john lewis ad that probably would be something on radar so i think there is those big storytelling but definitely it's not being consumed on a tv screen yeah very interesting okay we're going to pause on this conversation just for a moment and i'm going to ask you some reoccurring questions to get to know you a little better simon cook why do you work if you're in the right job Hopefully it allows you to do something that you love every day. And I, I realise that that is a privilege and a luxury and not everyone has that opportunity. But in my case, I, I work because I love what comes with it every day. I like building new things and putting them into the world. And I like creative problem solving. Do you have a sense of purpose in your work? I do. And coincidentally, it's very closely linked to our brand purpose. So at Lions, you know, we say that we get up every day and we come to work because we believe in the power of creativity and what it can do for businesses, what it can do for people, but also what it can do in terms of affecting culture and society as well. So I would say my personal purpose at work is very much related to the brand purpose at work. Okay. And do you have a sense of purpose in your life? Yes, I think it would be around never wanting to stop learning or being challenged. And I think increasingly, as I get older, it's about wanting to to share those learnings with those who, who want to hear it. And on top of that, to be a champion for creativity, especially for those people who may believe that it's not an option for them. Now, given your work in creativity, this is a kind of weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I ask everyone, when are you the most creative? Oh, good question. Okay, two sides to this. I'm most creative when I'm either completely alone or surrounded by others building something together. I think alone, because I firmly believe that the best creative ideas need a little bit of room to breathe. And together, because there's nothing better than coming around a common cause and actually building on each other's ideas. But I think both are necessary for me. So I'm at my most creative when I'm experiencing solitude and togetherness. Okay. What makes you happy? Oh, many things, many things. The people I love, food, new experiences. I think something that I don't get to do as often as I'd like, just laughing until your sides hurt with lifelong friends. It has to be up there. When are you offline? Rarely, I think, is the honest answer. I guess to be more mechanical about it, I guess I'm offline when I'm very intentional about it. So that would be on holiday. But also every morning, every morning I try and walk to work. That takes about an hour and a half. And I don't tend to listen to music or podcasts. It's just a time for me and my thoughts. So that is a very deliberate offline one and a half hour start to the day because otherwise there's just no time to extend a thought or take it further or push it or mould it. So 
I enjoy starting the day that way. Do you take the same route every single day? I do, yeah. Long Regent's Canal. Last question. When was the last time you felt you were wasting your time and you only had yourself to blame for it? Ah, okay. I think I try very deliberately not to waste my time. But also, I'd probably frame that in a different way. I'd say that I don't think anything is truly a waste of time because there's always something to be learnt. And as I said earlier, I'm someone who likes to learn all the time. So that's probably a bit of a dodge, but it's hopefully more of an optimistic answer. Oh, love it. Thank you for sharing, Simon. Right, let's get back to the topic in hand. And I'm kind of interested in how gaming is shaping what's evolving in your world. And in fact, it's so important, you've actually launched an entire new gaming category at the awards. So can you tell everyone a little bit about how gaming's impacting advertising right now? For me, well, I think I'm, I'm probably in denial like a lot of people are. I think the assumption is that gamers are teenagers in their bedrooms plugged into an Xbox. But I think the reality is, and part of the reason we've introduced a gaming lion, is that increasingly brands want to be where their customers are. And apparently, we are there in gaming land, increasingly. It's, as I said, not teenagers in bedrooms. If you look at the US, 45% of gamers are female. 30% are actually over the age of 45. So there's a, there's a really interesting thing happening around the intersection of culture and gaming and entertainment. And because we're all spending more and more time there, that's where the brands want to be. But for me, I'm, I'm still going to say I'm not a gamer, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You're sounding quite old, Simon, I'm afraid, when you I'm say that. I'm aging myself. I'm aging myself. <laughs> you are. Yeah. All right, fine. I'll get on board. You get on board. But what kind of commercials are people likely to see in games in the future then? Well, I think in increasingly integrated types of messages. So, you know, we're moving past the phase of traditional product placement, although it still exists. It's still a massive thing. But actually, rather than brands inserting themselves into specific platforms or existing games, actually designing games and worlds themselves. So the ad actually becomes the environment that you're in. Let's change direction slightly. I'm also keen to hear from you about how brands are connecting with us today and I guess in the future, which is pretty different to how they used to when you and I were growing up, for example. In the industry, they refer to it as purpose or purpose-led work a lot of the time. And that stems from, as you say, the expectation from consumers, customers, that brands need to do so much more than just grow. You know, it, it now needs to be about for growth and for good. So the expectation is that although they may be furthering themselves as a business, they also need to be contributing to the world in a positive way. And often in a way that governments aren't. So the expectations are really high. Now, we thought this would be a trend that would subside, but it definitely looks like it's here to stay. So I think, yes, it's, it's difficult for brands because maybe three years ago, three, five years ago, we were seeing a lot of examples of brands who were perhaps clumsily attaching themselves to causes or things around social good. And it's just not washing. In fact, it is washing. <laughs> and so people are increasingly being called out on that. So I think brands are really grappling with how to do that in a way that is authentic and in, in a way that ladders up to their actual strategy and promotes their growth simultaneously. That's a nice segue into the topic of sustainability, which has come up in with nearly everyone I've spoken to on this podcast. Obviously, 
the industry that you're rewarding, that you're celebrating, ultimately is asking consumers to buy more. And in a world where we're really worried about environmental considerations, that message can have a toxicity to it as well. How are the creatives that you're talking to confronting this? And is there a is there a position for this industry actually to drive positive change? Yes, I think there is. But there's two sides to it. I think there are those that do it responsibly because they genuinely believe that if they produce creative that is lion-worthy, that has the ability to enter culture and affect change, then they have a platform and it's a very, very powerful one. I think those that are doing it in an inauthentic way are really setting us back in many respects because it's just putting a band-aid on a problem. And it's something that I imagine will come up or continue to come up at the festival in 2023. What is exactly the right way that we should be tackling this, not only as a brand or an agency, but as an industry? You know, from our perspective as a global event, we're certainly looking to make sure that every edition of Can Lions becomes the most sustainable edition of Can Lions because it's a journey that just doesn't stop. Okay, so from one very big topic to another very big hot topic, and that's AI. It's affecting every single industry at the moment. It's buzzworthy. There's new innovation hitting markets at the moment, which is going to completely change how some industries operate. How do you think artificial intelligence is going to affect the advertising industry? Well, in its early stages, I think it's safe to say that it will dominate the stages at Canlines this year. There's been a lot of debate over the past few months about the rise of AI in advertising but specifically looking about at the role of human creativity or the creatives. And look, we've all had a play around with it. If you chuck a few briefs into ChatGBT, you will get some very passable ideas. But as one of our community members said to me recently, if you want to celebrate mediocrity, use AI to generate your ideas. And why would anyone in our industry want to celebrate mediocrity? And I think we're in a world where some believe that over 90% of advertising messages are ineffective or mediocre at best anyway. So why would we use AI to introduce more of that or put more of that into the world to create more clutter? And if we go back to the example I gave earlier of Cadbury's Gorilla, very famous ad put out by a chocolate brand featuring a gorilla on the drums playing a song to Phil Collins. If you put the original Cadbury brief into ChatGBT, I highly doubt that it would pump out Musical Gorilla. It's coming back to what you were talking about earlier. It's the creativity side of these things. And the wonderful thing that is the human brain able to come up with these ideas that haven't been thought of before or pulling different concepts together. You're talking about gorillas and chocolate and drums and Phil Collins. Exactly. If a robot did spit that out, you'd think it had gone wrong and needed to be unplugged, one would imagine. Or if a gorilla was taught to think in that zag way instead of a zig way, then that becomes the norm. And, you know, what is the human counter to that? So it's interesting to see how our creativity will have to adapt over time to um, always be a counter to the sophisticated algorithms that are coming through. But what if it does get as good as a human brain? I guess that's the fundamental question. You know, if what's being created at the moment might be mediocre, does that get to a stage where it is you know, market beating, can command consumer attention. Do you envisage that as a possibility? 
I don't think so. I think we, we've seen this pattern over the over the years when we talked about the rise of big data and, you know, in the the early 10s, talking about the rise of technology and innovation and, and, and how that supersedes what humans do, what human creativity does. I think it, it peaks in terms of debate and then very quickly becomes a part of the norm and almost melts away and disappears to just become a part of the industry landscape. So I imagine the same will happen with AI. Looking into the future of the creative business and businesses that you talk to, are you more anxious or hopeful about what lies ahead? Oh, I'd say I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I think, you know, how much the industry has changed in the last 70 years. If you think about how much change there has been, that could be quite triggering. That could, you know, really get people starting to feel anxious anyway. So I think the industry won't change. It won't stand still. And the constant is creativity. And I think that's probably needed now more than ever. So I'm hopeful about the future. I'm going to put you on the spot. What was the last commercial that made you go and buy something almost instantly? That's such a good question. Do you know what? I can't think of a single example, which means I must have <laughs> been in places where I'm seeing a lot of mediocre advertising. I'll have to come back to you on that one, Carla. Okay, I'm going to tell you which one mine was. So I'm quite obsessed with Nordic socks as a brand. <laughs> I was bought some for Christmas. And this is, this is old school. I had an email from them with a Valentine's Day offer. And I went and bought four more packs of Nordic socks. These aren't particularly inexpensive socks. They're quite expensive, but they last and last and last and they keep your feet so cosy. So the last ad that impacted me to buy something was actually something that was emailed into my inbox. So sometimes it's kind of the most basic ones out there. It's, it's nothing new. There was nothing innovative about it. It was just a special offer on something I loved. Do you know what? That's so interesting because yeah, a, a very simple method, quite a traditional method. Now you mention it, a flyer was put through my door for a local restaurant that was opening up that I did know was, was coming to my neck of the woods with a special offer and I did use it. So a bit of good old fashioned direct mail. Good old fashioned advertising still has a place. There you go. I also want to know your favourite, the most iconic advert of all time. Well, technically, we can't have favourites because we leave that to our juries to decide. <laughs> That's such but, a politician's answer. But I will, I will give the answer just because it's an oldie and I'm sure it's a lot of people's favourites. But I have a soft spot for Surfer by Guinness. Do you know the, the ad? Yes, I do. Horses coming out of the water. The Guinness ads are always good, aren't they? They have been over the years. They've won a lot of lions over the years. But that one especially, I think, whenever I play that in a, in a presentation to make a point, you can hear a pin drop. People still love it. Although I, it still has never persuaded me to actually drink Guinness. But. <laughs> me, me neither. But send me a piece of direct mail and I may change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get back to the question from the very beginning. When was the last time you learned something new that has an impact on the way that you live your life? I've been thinking about this throughout. It's quite a morbid one. Is that okay? That's absolutely fine. <laughs> so on uh, Friday night, when I was last belly laughing, since you asked, we were talking about birthdays and I turned 40 later this year, which I'm very comfortable with. I embrace the friend of mine who I've known for a very long time, very perhaps unkindly reminded me that that means I have 480 months to live, which just absolutely took the wind out of me. It took my breath away when you think about it like that. 
And so the impact that that's had is that on in the short term, Saturday and Sunday morning, I leapt out of bed at the crack of dawn and tried to do probably too much and I'm now feeling a bit tired. So I think the learning for me is that I'm going to have to work out how to balance my life uh, so that I'm not exhausted all the time because I've only got 480 months to live, but also make my peace with that as well. I'm now rapidly doing calculations because I'm three years older than you and working out how many months I've got to live. Well, you'll have more because the average life expectancy of a woman is longer if that's still the oh, fact. Okay. All right. You're my shoulders right. have just, just relaxed slightly, a little <laughs> bit, I think. Wow. Okay. Well, that's quite a note to end uh, it is, on. It is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Something for everyone to think Something about. Something will now do their own calculation. Sorry yep. about that, people. Everyone's going to do it, but, but maybe the takeaway is you've got to live every single day. You've got to maximise the opportunities and you've got to do stuff with it. And I think so many of the topics that we've covered today, thinking about creativity, thinking about innovation, thinking about responsibility as well, are all really pertinent to that. That's great. It's been very, very pleasant to chat with you, Carla. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Thanks, Simon. And that's it for this episode. I hope you found it as insightful as I did. Do let me know what you think about this particular podcast and the direction that you want it to be going in. You can write to me on lives at wgsn.com to give me your input. Stay tuned. A new episode will be out shortly about how we live our lives of tomorrow. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time.